a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And, and welcome to this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. I'm your host, Rebecca Cressman. And today in studio, we have Ronnie Daniel. He's the executive director of the Alzheimer's Association, at least I should say the Utah chapter. But you've been all across the country recently, Ronnie. Welcome. We have. Well, every year the Alzheimer's Association has an advocacy forum in Washington, D.C., and that was just last week. And so we just got back. And while we were there, we were working on uh, three specific requests to our congressmen and women. Um, asking them initially for some additional funding for Alzheimer's research. And it looks very favorable. In fact, uh, they just did a markup on the bill and for $425 million in addition to go to NIH for Alzheimer's research, which is incredible. When you say NIH, the National, the National Institutes of Health. Okay, yep. and why is it so important? We'll be talking, by the way, if you've just joined us, about Alzheimer's, about its prevalence, why and how it affects uh, so many Utah families. Right. But why is research so important, Ronnie? Well, let me let me talk a little bit about cancer. You know, cancer sure. has seen so many incredible breakthroughs. And for the last 20 years, uh, Congress has allocated about $5 million dollars, I'm sorry, $5 billion annually to cancer research. And that's what's led to so many incredible breakthroughs. And right now, about 10 years ago, there was less than $500 million being appropriated to Alzheimer's research. And through the work of the Alzheimer's Association and our grassroots advocates across the country, we've now seen that grow to $1.8 billion, which is incredible. And so this additional $425 million would be on top of that. So it would be over $2 billion finally going to Alzheimer's research. And so we expect in the next five to 10 years that we'll start to see the same kind of breakthroughs in science and potential cures and at least ways to slow the disease down for Alzheimer's disease because of this investment in research. Well, and you brought up cancer. So for many, many years, I was involved in, in, in a lot of advocacy for cancer research. And what I learned at that point was that there are so many different strands of research. There are scientists and and professors studying at very different levels whether or not they can control the cell division. Mm-hmm. There are others that can, you know, are looking to see whether the body itself can attack cancer cells rather than the healthy cells. They're looking at research mm-hmm. on different types of treatment and medication. So when we talk about Alzheimer's and research, we're also talking about many many different yeah, approaches, all of, all of right? the above. We're looking at every different way. I mean, the thing we want most is to cure this awful disease. You know, it, it impacts five over 5.4 million people annually in the United States. Um, right now, at age 65, one in 10 people will suffer from Alzheimer's disease. At age 85, it's one in three. And we all know the baby boomer generation is, is up and coming. In fact... Uh, we're here, aren't we? We're here. The, uh, <laughs> the, you know, uh, the... Um, uh, University of Utah, the Kim Gardner Institute, who does most of the demographics for the state of Utah, has looked at the state of Utah. Right now, we have about 318,000 seniors age 65 and older, and about 10% of them have Alzheimer's disease. By the oh, year, that's 30,000. Right, right? 30, 31,000. By the time we get to 2065, that number is going to quadruple. Um, we'll have more than 1.2 million seniors. In fact, for the first time ever in Utah history, 
um, the the age group of zero to eighteen is no longer the fastest growing population in our state, and it's, that's because of the baby boomer population is. that is aging, living longer. Yep, and, and so now it's age sixty five to seventy five. That's the fastest growing segment of our population, and that's going to continue for the next forty years. And so as those baby boomers continue to age, and because of advances in cancer research and heart research, we're living living longer. longer. And that's the single largest risk factor to Alzheimer's is our age. Can you give that stat again? And for those who just joined us, this is Ronnie Daniel. He's executive director of the Utah chapter of the Alzheimer's Association. So you said um, under the age of 75, it's one in 10? Correct. That will have or be diagnosed with Alzheimer's? Yep. Over the age of 85? It's one in three. Wow. Yeah. What happens with Alzheimer's? What do we know so far yeah. uh, about it? I mean, I've, I've shared before with you that my stepmother had an advanced cage or case of Alzheimer's yeah. very quick at onset, uh, just at the age of 65, within three years. Uh, not only mm. was she in full dementia, but she also had developed some other brain diseases, which we think it was Parkinson's and another variant, sure. but it completely encased and enclosed her life. Yeah. So Alzheimer's disease um, is a form of dementia. So we like to think of uh, dementia as an umbrella term. And underneath that are all the different types of dementia, like Alzheimer's disease. You have vascular dementia. You have frontal temporal uh, dementia, uh, a dozen or more different types of conditions that fall underneath the term dementia. And so Alzheimer's disease starts in the memory centers of the brain. And basically, it's a breakdown of the neurotransmissions. And so uh, the scientists believe that a buildup of amyloid plaque, which is a protein, um, starts to destroy the neurotransmissions. And so it begins in the memory centers. That's why oftentimes short-term memory is, uh, loss is so, so often associated with Alzheimer's disease because it just destroys those neurotransmissions. And so you can't remember that you, you can't just had... You can't store any yeah, more memories. Yeah, you don't remember that you just had a conversation with mm-hmm. someone five minutes ago. Um, and so then the disease continues to spread and it'll spread throughout the brain. It'll, it'll begin to impact... Um, the, the parts of the brain that control your mood and your behaviors and, and the way you feel about things. It'll finally, eventually, uh, over a course of, for most people, between 8 and 10 years, it will also you know, go and destroy long-term memories and then finally settle in, in the parts of the brain that control breathing and heart rate and, and swallowing even. And so that's usually what people end up uh, passing away from. So is, when we say Alzheimer's is a deadly disease. It literally attacks us physiologically, not just when it it comes to our mental processing abilities. One in three seniors that die in the United States today die uh, as a result of uh, conditions of Alzheimer's Mm. disease. You mentioned the term plaque. And I think, you know, most of us think of dental plaque and right. we're just thinking of some kind of a thick substance. And and so this substance we've identified when they've taken a look at Alzheimer's patients' Correct. brains, right? We've yeah. found it in larger amounts. Right. And so they've actually now, just in the last five or so years, can actually do a, a PET scan imaging where they inject a radioactive dye into the blood that attaches to this beta amyloid plaque. And so then on a PET scan imaging, you can actually see where it's, where it's built up in the brain. And so people at different stages will have, you know, varying amounts of the, of the plaque in their brain. And so that's, that's a relatively new, uh, new thing that we can use today. We weren't able to, we used to have to wait, and I hate to say this, but you used to wait until an autopsy to determine whether indeed Alzheimer's is there. Yeah. In fact, last night we did a a research symposium, uh, here in Salt Lake City and we Mm -hmm. had uh, Dr. Kevin Duff from the University of Utah 
who works at the Center for Alzheimer's Imaging Research and Care. And they um, are one of the few locations throughout the United States that are actually able to do this pet imaging scanning. They do it in conjunction with Huntsman Cancer Institute. And they can actually, you know, look at people and who who are in you know the early stages and and see. And that's that's the beauty of this this technology is that even before you start to see major symptoms of the disease, you can begin now to see if you have that buildup. And so for advancing research, that's amazing because we can start to now see, you know, ten or twenty years before someone starts to show the symptoms if you might have a pre- prevalence of the disease. And, and we know from research that there are things that we can do to reduce our risk of getting of having cognitive decline. And so, I want to talk about that because uh, after having cared for a loved one mm-hmm. who went through a, a rapid onset of Alzheimer's, as, as I mentioned, and to see this vibrant woman who was just approaching retirement, typically yeah. doesn't advance as quickly, she's 65, right. to see the paranoia set in, to have to worry about her safety, right. to um, have to identify ourselves to her uh, throughout the day over and over again, to relieve her fears, right. um, those kind of things. It, it feels, you can feel a, a bit helpless in this. And so to know that this is what is could occur to all of us yeah, in time. Sure. We want to know what we can do you to know, prevent and, it. And the impact that this disease has on caregivers is tremendous, as you just explained, Rebecca. You know, we mentioned there's about 31,000 people in the state of Utah who have Alzheimer's disease. There's over 152,000 caregivers. And unfortunately, women are more impacted as caregivers than men. Um, about two, two out of every three caregivers is a woman. And, and not only are women more impacted by caregiving, but women are more likely to have the disease than men, almost twice as likely um, to have the disease. And so it's kind of a double whammy for women, unfortunately. Um, but this impact on, on caregiving is, is so powerful. And so that's one of these aspects of, you know, we not only need to care for the person with the disease, but we need to care better for the caregiver and help them stay more healthy because, Surprisingly, 36% of all caregivers end up passing away before the person they're caring for because they're not taking care of themselves and mm. the stress and, and the emotional burden. of this. We're going to talk in just a bit, as Ronnie had mentioned, about what we can do to try to slow down the progression or possible progression of Alzheimer's disease in ourselves and in our loved ones. And then I want us to take a few minutes, Ronnie, to talk about the resources for caregivers because Absolutely. I know for my father, it was essential once that he found a chapter nearby so he could reach out and talk to others who had experienced caregiving, learn the lessons, and get support, which is the emotional support sometimes is just as important as getting other kinds of respite. So first of all, let's talk about that. What are some things that we've learned that we can do to try to prevent cognitive decline? Sure. So uh, this is all based upon a study that was done uh, about 10 or 15 years ago in Finland. It's called the FINGER study. And they they took a group of people who were in the early stages of Alzheimer's and had half of them do specific things and half of them just lived normal life. And and then they compared the two. And the things that they had this control group do were um, eat a healthy heart, a heart healthy diet. The Mediterranean diet is the one that they used. They also had them do regular cardiovascular exercise three times a week. And then they also had them engage in um, cognitive stimulation, learning new things. It's, it's a little bit more than just doing the Sudoku or crossword puzzle, but actually, you know, going to public education programs or learning a new language or, you know, learning a new hobby like playing the piano or something like that where you're really stimulating your brain. And then the fourth thing that they focused on was social engagement. 
and getting people involved. And so as they compared these two groups, it was evident, significant evidently, that the people who were doing these things consistently over time um, reduced their risk for additional cognitive decline and actually pushed out five to ten years the onset of the severe Alzheimer's. That's really dramatic. And I think about our aging population, what tends to happen is, is isolation. Absolutely. Is, is that those in the younger generation are busy raising their kids and moving around right. our country. Uh, we used to live to, close to each other all the time, right? Yeah, and yeah. now we've got uh, children spread all across the world or exactly. across the country. So uh, already when you're aging, you're at risk of the isolation. So I've heard right from that yeah. that it's so important that we build social interaction into our lives. Absolutely. Uh, especially post-retirement. I'll mention that, right? Right. Absolutely. You said the Mediterranean diet. Yeah, so that that's basically you know just a heart healthy diet. It's it's you know low fat, um, you know uh, lean proteins, fruits and vegetables. You know it's 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 amazing. You know I was talking to a lady last night at this research symposium. She said, "Well, that's what we hear all the time. That's what, that's how you avoid cancer. That's how you avoid heart disease." <laughs> There's and, something about and the it's fish. true. You know, it's true. We want to you know you want to keep yourself healthy and and the the beauty that they found in this in the study. Was that it didn't depend? It didn't matter when you started. If you start today, it, you can make a difference. So it's not like you you think, oh, I haven't been doing that for twenty years. It's not going to make a difference. It will make a difference if you start today. With you know, and it doesn't mean you have to go join a gym and and become a bodybuilder. It just means you look up Mediterranean Mediterranean, Mediterranean diet, diet recipes yeah. and start to implement them. Yeah. If and, you're a and, caregiver and, and or go, in your own go life, walk for fifteen or twenty minutes every mm-hmm. day. You know, um, and that's all it takes. It's just elevating your heart heart rate. What the other part of the study has also shown is that what's healthy for the heart is healthy for your brain. And so doing exercise helps you make your heart healthy because it increases blood flow to the brain. And, and 20% of every heartbeat goes to the brain, if you think of it that way. And so every time you are exercising your heart, you're stimulating your brain at the same time. And so that's why physical exercise is so important. Oh, that's fascinating. 20% mm-hmm. of the heartbeat is trying to fuel the muscle yep. in, your, in, your brain. in your brain. Right. Ah, so important. Okay. Yeah. Did I miss that? Mediterranean diet, activity, 15, 20 minutes a day, mm-hmm. and, uh, and not just social, um, making sure you have social interactions, but right. you said challenging yourself. Yeah. Cognitive stimulation. So, so you know, it's, it's like I said, it's not just doing Sudoku or, or Wheel or, of Fortune or Jeopardy, right. which is my father's, right? right? <laughs> and th- and those, are, those are not bad things to sure. do, for sure. I mean, you're, you're having to think and remember, and yeah. those are all good things. But the, the more significant impact happens when you learn new things, when you're, you're stretching your brain, you're causing new neurotransmissions to occur, that helps to make your brain healthier I like that idea of a new language because mm-hmm. the way the internet is set up nowadays, yeah. you can basically go online right. and find ways to, uh, to learn. Absolutely. But if you're trying to reinforce social interaction, it's going to the local high school at yeah. night, right? And, you know, and, and uh, you know, we all have community education courses that mm-hmm. are gone, that happen. And those are, you know, go out and, and not not that you're trying to master any skill or become a you know a, a new profession. It's just learning new things. It might be learning a new hobby. You know, it might be learning you know new language skills. I remember like my aunt who lives in uh, Fullerton, California. She began her PhD program at 63. Yeah, she said. <laughs> she wow. said I'd look around the room, and she said it, it definitely <laughs> uh, was a little bit more challenging for me. She said I could re- I could feel the difference yeah. of when I was working on my master's and had more energy. But she said I had less distractions right. as well. That's right. So she said it was wonderful to immerse myself in that yeah. environment. And- yeah, I went back uh, about 
five years ago and did my master's degree, you know, 20 plus years after I did my bachelor's. And, and I, I was the same thing for me. I felt like I, not only did I have more life lessons and life skills that I could bring to the table and working on that, but I had less distractions than I had when I was a college student right. worried about dating and everything else. And we've learned know? how to multitask as right. an adult, right? I mean, you know, life has always happened in the middle of those gen- or decades that we've been living. This is For Ronnie sure. Daniel. He's the executive director of the Alzheimer's Association, the Utah chapter office, just returning from Washington, D.C. At the beginning of the interview, he was sharing about how he had joined with others across the nation to talk about increasing research, increasing research funding uh, to Alzheimer's. We also talked about the importance of, of, of supporting caregivers and if we are giving support to someone with Alzheimer's, learning what we need to do to take care of ourselves. So what are some recommendations and resources the Utah chapter sure. of the Alzheimer's Association so cer- has? Certainly, as you mentioned earlier, you know, it was important for your father to get out and meet other people who are engaged. And, and that's one thing that we recommend. We have support groups that are available throughout the state for people who are you know, living with someone, caring for someone with Alzheimer's or related dementia. And it's so powerful to see these people come together and they share ideas and they share what's going on in their lives. And it's one thing for them to talk to someone who's never gone through that themselves, a whole other thing to talk to someone who's in the thick of it with them. Right. And so powerful. And so they, they, you know, they come together, they laugh together, they cry together, they learn together. And it's just amazing the, the, the respite that they get from that experience. And so Certainly that's the first thing is, is get involved in some kind of a, a support group in that way. You know, secondarily, it's really important for you to take respite for yourself. Make sure that you're taking time away that you can recuperate. Well, it's just taking a nap or going to see a movie or, you know, doing things for yourself that uh, will allow you to, you know, kind of have some downtime. Decompress. And get decompress. Sure. And so using when, you know, when people offer help. You know, take, take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. You know, let people come in and sit with your loved ones so that you can get away for a couple of hours. Um, you know, and there's a really interesting tool on our website. Um, it's a calendaring tool. And because so often, you know, if if your neighbor is sick, you know, what, what's the first thing you do? Well, what can I do to help? And no one really can tell you in the moment what they can do to help. But this calendaring program allows you as the caregiver and other family members to identify what are those things that you need help with. It might be go getting groceries. It might be sitting with your loved one for a while. It might be mowing the lawn, any, you know, those kinds of things. And you put them on the calendar. And then when someone offers, what can I do to help? You can direct them to this calendar. They can go on there and say, Hey, I've got an hour Saturday. I can mow their grass. I'll go do that. And then check. It gets taken off. I love that tool. It's really, really amazing. But I think I also, what I love is, is what you said is maybe having that trusted person come into your home and sit while you mow. Because the, because it feels so intense when you're within those four walls and That's you're right. with someone who you love and care for that doesn't recognize you anymore. There's a, a, it's completely different than caring for someone else with whom yep. you didn't have all those emotional connections. Absolutely. And so to kind of get in the sunshine, yeah, roll I, your I've shoulders I've heard it back. described by, mm-hmm. by some caregivers that it just feels like the walls keep getting closer and closer. Mm-hmm. Because as you said, you're, you're 24-7 worried about their safety. Are they going to... Are they going to wander? You know, 60 plus percent of people have Alzheimer's will wander. And the problem is we don't know that they're going to wander until they wander. Exactly. And so you're always worried about that. And, you know, is it, did I lock the door? Or did I, or, you know, did I turn? Did I set the alarm? Do they have their ID badge with them? Where's exactly. the car keys? Yeah. Um, uh, we have about six minutes together. We're talking with Ronnie Daniel uh, of the Alzheimer's Association. What is the website that has the calendaring tool? So it, it's simply ALZ.org. ALZ.org. Yeah. ALZ. 
speaking of memory, right. for anyone like me who's got short-term, <laughs> alz.org, yeah. there are some, uh, talking about calendars, you have some community walks that are coming. Tell yeah. us about you know, those. Our, our Walk to End Alzheimer's, we like to think of it as the state's largest uh, Alzheimer's support group. Because we'll have over 5,000 people come together for eight different walks. We have a walk in Logan, one in Ogden, one in uh, um, Farmington. We have one in here in Salt Lake City. We have one in Park City, Daybreak, Provo, and St. George. That's fantastic, and all so, those chapters. Uh, so we have all of those walks come together. Our largest one will be our, our Salt Lake Walk, and it, it will happen on uh, September 15th at the State Capitol Building. We'll have uh, almost 2,000 people at that walk alone. And so we just encourage people to come out. You know, while it is a great support group, it's a way that we raise funds for our chapter. All of the services that our chapter provides, we offer free of charge. And so our walks are ways that we can help, you know, uh, support each support other, support each other, raise sure. the funds to be able to offer the services we have. Walk to end Alzheimer's. Exactly. That's mm-hmm. and that's the 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 neat thing about the walk is people come together and when they register, they identify what their purpose of walking is. And so there's four things that we look at. Um, are you just a general supporter want to find an end to this disease? That's, that's the yellow flower. The orange flower represents um, caregivers. And so people carry these big pinwheel flowers. And the blue flower represents that you have the disease. And the purple flower means that you've lost someone to the disease. Mm. And so we have this incredible, emotional, okay. full you know, ceremony at the beginning where we recognize why we're walking. And part of that ceremony is the introduction of a white flower. And the white flower represents the first survivor. Mm. And we believe that the first survivor is alive today. You know, and that's what research is so important. And it's leading toward that. And so people can come together. It's not a competitive race at all. It's just come. The walks are about two miles long. But we always have a, a short track for people who might be in wheelchairs or things like that that they can't go the two miles. But it's just a great opportunity to come engage. We'll have you know lots of our sponsors and our vendors there that offer different resources. And so it's a great way to connect with other community resources as well. You said September 15th That's for the Salt, Salt Lake, Lake City mm-hmm. at the state capitol. But yeah. you mentioned they're all across the state. Yeah. Where would we find so a list you, of those days? Say, say, if you go to that same website, alz.org, and then slash walk. Okay. And you go there, and then if you you know live in Logan, you just put in your zip code, and it will take you to all the information about the Logan Walk and where you can register. And it doesn't cost anything to register. You know, we encourage folks to to raise funds. And usually, what happens is people will will start a team in in honor of someone that they know that has the disease, or in memory of someone they may have lost to the disease. And then simply the the, the registering will connect you to all of our social media tools, and so you can send out information to all your family and friends and. People donate, you know, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty dollars to the team, and the average team usually is about ten people, and they they raise, you know, five or six hundred dollars, and so it's, that's the kind of thing that people do. You know, for if you're listening right now, and you may be more introverted, um, a little more shy, and you wonder, is it important really to get together? And what I need to tell you, or share with you, or you know, witness to you is that we draw energy and emotional support from each other when we do events right. like this. Absolutely, it gives us hope. It provides friendships. Yeah. It gives us uh, that much-needed light. And as we talked about the tendency we can have when we're overwhelmed to isolate ourselves, it's not a healthy instinct. 
It's yeah. actually sometimes we have to step out of that comfort zone to get the support and resources that we need. And so if you are feeling like, I don't know, step into that, whether it's just a rock, walk around the block or yeah. just to, to be there for the kickoff, because I will tell you, you will feel the sense of support. You will learn something new. You'll go away with something that will help better your life. Absolutely. You know, Rebecca, I've been in this role as executive director for going on five years now, and I've been in, I've been to over 40 walks in that time that we've had go to all of them. And there's not been one walk that's passed that someone hasn't come up to me and said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having this event. You know, it, 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 it's just so powerful for people when they come, they didn't know that this kind of thing existed. They didn't know the Alzheimer's association existed before. And, and quite often I'll have, you know, often uh, an older woman that will come up to me and say, I wish I'd have known you were here five years ago when my husband was now he's gone this was so cathartic for me to come and, and, and feel the love and feel the, the hope and, and the joy that, that we have in this box. They're fun events, but they are very powerful. And Alzheimer's is still with us as a disease that we are working to eradicate, right. to cure, to treat. And in the meantime, while we do that, we can come together and support each other. Walk to End Alzheimer's. Um, all the details are on alz.org. If you are a caregiver and you want more information about support groups or ideas to help yourself, that's online as well. Absolutely. Right? You can go to our website again, alz.org, or you can call our – we have a toll-free 24-7 helpline that people can call, and that number is 800-272-3900. And anytime, day or night, people can call that, and there's a master's level uh, clinician on the other end of the phone that can help you just answering basic questions or help you if you're having a crisis. Okay, I love and that. It's amazing. So please, you know, again, 800 272 3900. And I'll give it to you one more time 800 272 3900. Jot that down if you are a caregiver, <clears throat> if you are nervous about your own memory and you feel um, like it might be a safe place for you to call and get some answers. Yeah. Um, Make that call and reach out because the support is there. One in 10 will develop Alzheimer's uh, under the age of 65, one in three over the age of 85. Correct. So it's all around us. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's, the fact of the matter is if we live into our 80s, we'll either have the disease or we'll most likely be caring for someone with the disease. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the reality of this right now. So, you know, right now we want to – any people who are dealing with that, get help. Let us help. We're here. It's free. There's no charge. We want to be of service to you. Um, if you're worried about it, you know, let us help you through that as well. Um, the, one of the things they'll find on our website is the 10 signs. Know the 10 signs. And so if you're worried about it, if you, you know, you, you're thinking you have memory issues, go check out that list of 10. And if you can check off a few of those, then it's important to go talk to your doctor. Right. And I've actually you. talked about my talked with my doctor about memory. Yeah. And he's given me on two occasions memory tests yeah. and sat down. It's it's part of our health. Exactly. Our mental cognitive. It, it is takes about important. as long to do the cognitive assessment as mm-hmm. it does for them to check your heart and lungs. Yeah. And so it, it's just a nat- normal, natural part. If you're over 65, you know, just like, you know, I turned 50 a few years ago mm-hmm. and now every year I have to, you know, do that colonoscopy thing. Yay. Um, it's, <laughs> it's just important, you know, when you're over 65 to ask your doctor to, you know, are you doing a cognitive assessment? And if not, please do so. And then you can kind of get a baseline and see year to year 
how you're doing and if you're having any issues. And look for more information on those signs, 10 signs on ALZ.org. Ronnie, thank you for joining My us. Pleasure. What you, what important information. Again, that number, 24 hours a day, 1-800-272-3900, the Alzheimer's Association, the Utah chapter. Ronnie says that there's lots of people to give you support and information. Thank you for joining you us bet. on this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum.